Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Well, glory to God. I want you to turn with me, if you would, today to... uh, Revelation chapter 12, Revelation chapter 12. A couple of weeks ago on a Sunday, we were talking, I was on the, the subject of what to do when you're in trouble and how to respond and, and so forth. And we were over in the ninth chapter of the book of Daniel. And I hadn't really intended on teaching on this, but we got uh, in, the, in the context of talking about how Daniel had prayed and it took 21 days for the answer to get to him. The point was, you know, whenever you pray, understand that the answer always comes. The enemy sometimes can delay things and gets in the way to try to hinder, but it doesn't stop God's plan. It doesn't stop his answer. God always moves. And so while we were on that, on that subject and on that point, the Lord said concerning uh, what we had talked about there that I needed to expound a little bit. So we're going a little bit different direction to give some, some more context to that. And so uh, we did that last week and we're continuing on this week. I'm not gonna say everything I, I said last week, but here in chapter uh, 12, the book of Revelation, let's look at verse Verse number seven, it says, and war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, and he was cast out to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. If you go back to the fourth verse of this same chapter, it gives another uh, a bit of insight to this. And it says in verse four that his tail, talking about the serpent, his tail, or the dragon rather, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And so we see in this that this is a picture of Satan who was originally called Lucifer and how that he mounted a rebellion against God, tried to overcome and take the place of God and how he was cast out of heaven and was cast to the earth and how his angels fell with him. So we know the devil has angels himself. Now we know, and we'll read the scripture in a few minutes, we know that, that Lucifer was originally a cherub which is an angelic type creature. It's not exactly an angel, but it's in the class, classifications of angels. It's one of the highest forms of created beings in the heavens are these cherubs. And, and Lucifer was an anointed cherub. And in his, in his already lofty estate, it came into his heart to exalt himself above God. And he was kicked out of heaven and he was kicked to the earth And it says that uh, angels fell with him. The implication here in verse four is a third of the angels of heaven fell with him. And so we know that Satan is a fallen angel. We know that there are other fallen angels, wicked angels that fell with him. 
And so uh, let's look a little bit more into this today and get a little bit more background. And so go with me to Isaiah, the 14th chapter. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 14. And we'll get a little bit better picture. And let's begin in verse number 12. Isaiah 14, 12. Beginning in verse 12, it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. You remember when the disciples came to Jesus, he had instructed them to go out in twos and to preach and to heal the sick and to cast out demons. Well, they came back to him after a short period of time and they were excited. They said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. This is in Luke chapter 10. You remember Jesus said, yes, I remember. I beheld Satan fall like lightning from heaven. This is what he's talking about right here. This is when it happened or a description of it happening. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will, asc I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol. Sheol is an Old Testament a word and it's the counterpart to the New Testament word Hades. They both mean the same thing. They mean the place of departed spirits. He said, you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. Now go with me, if you would, over to Ezekiel, the 28th chapter. Ezekiel 28. Now we read these scriptures last week, but we're gonna go a little bit further in them this week. Ezekiel 28. And let's begin in verse number 11. The prophet Ezekiel here is, is giving a word. And he says, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel 28, 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God. Now, if you just stop right there, you would think he's talking to a human ruler, a natural earthly king over the realm of Tyre. But when you read the rest of this, you'll find out that he's not talking to a, an ordinary man. He's not talking about a human being here. He's talking about something else. He says, say unto uh, the king of Tyre, say thus says the Lord, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden. Well, that couldn't have been any earthly ruler in Tyre because he hadn't even come on the scene yet. He hadn't even been born yet. This is actually talking about Lucifer. This is another account of, of Lucifer's fall. Said you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, the topaz, the diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emeralds with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. Well, you know right there, it's not talking about an earthly man, isn't that right? You are the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. 
You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways in the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God and destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of, fiery, of the fiery stones. Notice here that it says that Lucifer was in Eden. Now we see in the book of Genesis, we see Satan in the Garden of Eden. God created Adam and Eve and placed them in, in the garden and the serpent came to Eve, remember? Satan came in the form of a serpent and he came by deception. He had to, he had to come in stealthily and very carefully because he was an outsider. He really didn't have the right to approach Adam and Eve and so he didn't do so outwardly in, in a way that they would recognize him. He came in, in the form of a serpent, a serpent because God had done that to him and he came to them and began to tempt them and to offer suggestions that were contrary to the word of God. But the point I want you to see is in the book of Genesis when we see Lucifer or Satan in the Garden of Eden, he's already a fallen creature. When he approached Eve in the garden, he was already a fallen angel. He had already been kicked out of heaven. But if we go back here to Ezekiel, when it says you were in Eden, the garden of God, every precious stone, so forth, you were full of wisdom and perfect in beauty, this represents him being in Eden, in Eden, before he fell. Can you see that? This is talking about how he existed and what he did to, to be removed from his place of stature. He said, you were the anointed cherub, verse 14, who covers. I established you, God is saying. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. So here we have the picture of Lucifer and it says you were in Eden, in the garden of God. That pictures Lucifer on the earth before he fell. Isn't that right? Go back then again to Isaiah where we were just a few minutes ago, Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14. Notice verse 12, you are fallen from, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the, the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. If you take Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14 together, you see a picture of Lucifer on the earth, but who had access to heaven. He had access to, to approach the, the throne of God 
the holy mountains of God, the fire and all that existed in heaven, but it also pictures him on the earth. In other words, he moved back and forth from the earth into heaven, but he was cast out of heaven and cast back down to the earth. That's where we see him in the first chapter uh, or in the first few chapters of Genesis. He shows up, what is it, the third chapter he shows up? Let's go on reading here. In verse 13, it said, For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. We have a picture here of Lucifer who evidently was on the earth at one point in time before he fell because he, and this is where he sinned. This is where it came into his heart to exalt himself above the thrones of God. He said, I will ascend into heaven and I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And he said, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. So evidently he was below the stars. Evidently he was below the clouds. Now it goes on to say in verse 16, those who see you will gaze at you and consider you. Now this hasn't come to pass yet. Well, it's come to pass for the church because we see him for who he is. But this is talking about some point in the future. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble? Who shook, Nate, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroys it, destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of its prisoners. Notice again that in verse 13, he said, I will, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Evidently, at some point, Lucifer ruled over a kingdom and had a throne. Evidently, that throne was beneath the stars and beneath the clouds. So the picture is of Lucifer ruling over a kingdom or over a world, uh, 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 some type of a, of a cosmos that existed on the earth prior to his fall. Can you see that? And it talks about him making the earth tremble shaking kingdoms, making the world as a wilderness, destroying its cities. Well, what in the world is that talking about? Well, let's go back over to Genesis chapter one. You'll find this very interesting. In Genesis chapter one, in verse one, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I hear pages turning. Go ahead and get there. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse two says, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, if you do a little research into the original Hebrew text here, you'll find out that when it says the earth was without form, the two words there, without form, come from one Hebrew word 
the Hebrew word and it's pronounced tohu. The earth was tohu and then it says and void. The word void comes from the Hebrew, Hebrew word bohu. So not, not tofu, tohu. Tohu and bohu, it sounds kind of comical, but it wasn't comical. Says the earth was tohu and bohu. The word that's translated without form, tohu, literally means a waste or a wasteland. It means a desolation of surface. It means a worthless thing. And the word bohu means empty. It means a vacuity, an undistinguishable ruin. So if we read this scripture this way, it says the earth, the earth was a waste. Its surface was desolate. It was a worthless thing. And it was empty, a vacuity and an undistinguishable ruin. And, the, and darkness was on the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now that's very interesting that God would create the earth and create it a wasteland, a worthless, miserable, confused. Some other translations say it was, it was waste and void, that's the ASV. The NAB says it was a formless wasteland. The Living Bible says a shapeless, chaotic mass. The Septuagint goes on to say, and there was darkness over the abyss. This abyss describes the earth as being an abyss. The Rotherham's translation of this passage reads like this. This is so, so good. Hoping I can see this. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth had become waste and void and darkness was on the face of the deep, but the spirit of God was brooding on the face of the waters. Notice it says here in the, in the Rotherham's translation, which is a wonderful kind of ancient, uh, not ancient, but uh, you know, quite a few years old translation. It says, God created in the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth had become waste and void. The earth had become tohu and bohu. Most people read this passage and they read it as if verse two immediately followed verse one. And, they, and it sounds like, if you read it from the King James, it sounds like in the, beginning, in, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and he created it, a worthless thing, an undistinguishable ruin, a wasteland, empty and so forth, a desolate place. But Rotherham's translation says God created the heavens and the earth and then the earth became this way. This, word, this verb that's translated was, multiple times in the Old Testament, that same verb is translated became. And that's how the Rotherhand's trans, Rotherhand translated that word. Again, it's translated that way many times in the Old Testament. The earth became this way. Well, you know, that's, that's very interesting. 
We don't have a whole lot of information about this. We just, we just have this statement here. This would infer that something happened between verse number one and verse number two. You know, it, it stands to reason that uh, if you're gonna build something, say, if, say we, have some, we have some couple men in here who, who build furniture. If you were gonna build a piece of furniture, you wouldn't just take a bunch of scrap wood and just start nailing it and, and, and shooting nails into it and just, and just building it all kind of weird shapes and just, you know, just crazy looking. Would you? I mean, if you were gonna build a dog house for your dog, you would build it, you would build it so that he could live in it. You wouldn't build it upside down or having, you know, crazy just throw it, throw chicken wire in there and some board, put a concrete block in, put some concrete in it and just mix it all up and throw some nails in it and just sit it out there, would you? Put, put that, uh, that text that I put up earlier. If I was gonna write a book, I wouldn't just sit down at my computer and just... just another paragraph, write another paragraph, and write a whole book that way. 250 pages. And then come back and say, now I think I'll straighten, I'll edit it. Now I'm gonna edit my book. Would you do that? <laughs> you can take that down. Go over with me to Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45. And look at verse number 18. Now, do we have Genesis 1 and 2 as the official record of how God created the heavens and the earth? Would you say Genesis 1 and 2, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 is the official word? Well, what about Isaiah 45? Would it not qualify to? Look at Isaiah 45, verse number 18. Thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who established it, he did not create it tohu. That's the word tohu. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was tohu. Here it says, the God who formed it and made it and established it, did not create it, Tohu, who formed it to be inhabited. Well, Genesis 1-2 doesn't show it as being inhabitable. Isn't that right? Well, now, which one is right? See, well, I stick with Genesis 1-2. Well, I, well Isaiah 45, 18 is just as, is just as much inspired of God. There's just much the word of God as Genesis 1, 2. Well, how, how can they both be right? Here it says he did not create it in vain. He did not create it an empty, worthless, wasteless, a wasteland, a desolate land. He created it to be inhabited. But in verse number two, it's not inhabitable. That's why I believe the Rotherham translation to be the right rendering of that. And again, we don't have enough information to be you know, dogmatic about it, but we have enough information to, to certainly uh, look at it. 
and, and to draw some basic conclusions. Because if you think about God, the New Testament says God is not the author of confusion. Even, even the guys in our church who build cabinets know better than that. They wouldn't start out with a, with a, a crazy shaped box, you know, just, just throwing things together and, you know, looking like, you know, something from outer space. If you're going to build something, you're going to build it with a plan and you're going to build it for a purpose. And God is the same way. He's not the author of confusion. I personally don't believe God's ever created anything that was less than perfect. How could he? He created Lucifer and it says you were perfect in your ways. I established you. But evidently he created Lucifer with the freedom of will. And he had the ability to choose whether he would stay right or follow another path. Go with me over to, uh, go with me to Jeremiah chapter four. We'll get a little bit more insight. Jeremiah the fourth chapter. Verse number 23, the prophet saw something. The prophet Jeremiah saw something. He said, I beheld the earth and indeed it was without form and void. It was tohu and bohu. He said, I beheld the earth and indeed it was tohu and bohu. Well, let me ask you a question. When at what time was it tohu and bohu? Genesis chapter one, verse number two is the only time the earth has ever been in that condition. It's never been in that condition after verse number three. It says God in verse number two, the spirit of God was brooding over the face of the deep and God said, let there be light. And God said, let the land separate from the waters. And God said, let the, the, uh, the, the, the plants spring forth. And God said, let the birds fly and let the animals bring. Remember all of that? It's never been in this condition since Genesis 1-2. So he has to be looking at, at the earth in the condition it was in in Genesis 2. Now notice what he said about the earth. He said, I beheld the earth and indeed it was without form and void. And the heavens and they had no light. Well, God had not yet said let there be light. That's why there was darkness everywhere. I beheld the mountains and indeed they trembled and all the hills moved back and forth. He's seeing a picture of the earth that is shaking. It's, it's earthquakes are, are, are rocking the entire surface, surface of the planet. He said, I beheld and indeed there was no man. And all the birds of the heaven had fled. Notice it doesn't say and there were no birds in the heavens. It says and the birds of the heavens had fled which means there were birds there at one point, but now the birds have gone. 
You couldn't say the birds had fled if there had been no birds. So he's picturing the earth in its condition in tohu and bohu as we find it in Genesis 1-2. And birds evidently had been there. The prophet realizes this when he's seeing this. He's saying the birds are no more. Not only that, he said there's no man. Suggesting that there had been some form of mankind. And now they were gone. He said, I beheld and there was no man and all the birds of the heaven had fled. I beheld and indeed the fruitful land was a wilderness. The earth had been fruitful and now it's a wilderness. And all its cities were broken down at the presence of the Lord by his fierce anger. So it, it presents a picture, and again, I don't see how this could be a picture of any time on the earth other than Genesis 1, verse number 2. Now somebody said, well, maybe it's some, something in the future. This is not a future condition. This is not a future condition. He said, I beheld, and all of this had happened. All its cities were broken down and it came as a result of judgment. There was some type of fierce judgment that took place that resulted in the earth being tohu and bohu. Now, like I said, this is something that a lot of people haven't seen and I, I wouldn't want to be dogmatic about it, but uh, I'm, I'm fairly comfortable in my own self that's, that this presents the image of an earth that existed in a, in a form that was uh, orderly and fruitful and occupied in between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. Now, a lot of people, if you study the, New or if you study the Bible, Old and New Testament, if you go back and do a genealogy study from the days of, of Adam, it's a little hard to do sometimes. So there's a couple of different schools of thought of how you uh, uh, assign these generations and how these years work out. One viewpoint is that if you trace Adam back from, from the time of Christ, if you trace back to Adam, it goes back about 6,000 years. And, or from today, rather. It goes about, back about 6,000 years. And so human race would be about 6,000 years old and God created the earth 6,000 years ago. Another calculation puts it between 10 and 15,000. But that doesn't really account for the apparent age of the earth. Now, first of all, let me say this. I'm gonna believe the Bible first. I mean, the, the Bible is the word of God. I'm not looking for something else, if, if science appears to contradict the Bible, I'm sticking with the Bible. Knowing that science is an imperfect thing and that what they say is absolutely true today, 50 years later they revise it and say, well, that's not exactly the whole picture. So I'm always gonna stick with the word of God. At the same time, if God created the earth 10,000 years ago, he really went way out of his way to make it look like it's a whole lot older than 10,000 years. Have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? You stand on the rim of the Grand Canyon and you see 
I mean, you don't even have to be a scientist to see. It looks like something happened here. It looks like something happened that took a long, long time, more than 10,000 years. I was reading the other night in Abraham's time, which was only 4,000 years ago. 4,000 years ago in Abraham's day, he took Isaac up to the mountain to sacrifice him. The Lord said, take your, your only begotten son and take him up to the mountain. He said, go to the mountains of Moriah. Moriah would be the mountains around Jerusalem. The Jerusalem didn't exist in that form yet, but that's where that was. He said, go to a particular mountain that I'll tell you. When you see it, you'll know it. And the Bible says he took his son Isaac. And of course, that whole unfolding is a type of Christ. Because God was entering into covenant with Abraham. He needed a man who would do what he himself would do. Offer up his only begotten son. So Isaac and, and, and Abraham offering up Isaac is a type of God offering up his only begotten son. We know what happened. He got up on the mountain. He took his knife and he was ready to slay his son. And, and, and God cried out, do the child no harm. There's a, there's a ram caught in the bushes. Remember that? That's a type of Christ. The, the Bible says Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the mountain afar off that God told him. He said, that's the one. Now, I can't prove it, but the Bible doesn't disprove it. There are a number of mountains in the vicinity. Really, we, today we would call them hills, but they call them mountains. There's a number of mountains around Jerusalem. One of them is called Calvary. Now, the Bible, I can't prove it. And the Bible doesn't say it, but I will, I will always believe that Abraham took his son Isaac up on Calvary because that would fulfill the type perfectly. But again, it's just conjecture. My point is that hill today looks pretty much like it did 4,000 years ago. 4,000 years, 10,000 years doesn't change the face of the earth that much. If you look at the mountains and the geography, you look at the Rocky Mountains or the Himalayan Mountains, and you realize these mountains came up and were, you can see in the formation of the rocks that, that, that they were pushed upward. Sometimes the rock layers go straight up. Something pushed these rocks. That doesn't happen in 10,000 years. Now, God could have created, again, he could have created the earth six, 10, 12, 15,000 years ago, exactly like it is today. I wouldn't deny that that's possible. But again, if he did, he sure went out of his way to look like he took a lot longer in, in it coming to its present condition. So there are people, and I'm one of them, you don't, have to, you don't have to agree with me, this is just my opinion. There are a lot of people who believe that between Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In between that verse and verse number two, Rotherham says, and the earth became tohu and bohu. In between those verses could be millions upon millions upon millions of years. We don't know. But it would explain a lot. I'm not looking for the Bible to verify science, but at the same time, you know, scientists do know some things. And the earth sure looks like it's had some time on its hands that it's gone through some ages. 
different ages that, that are numbered in the millions of years. Well, if these verses tell us what it sounds like they're telling us, it's perfectly logical that the earth existed way before. Now, the Bible says that Adam was the first man, in other words, modern man. But it, it also tells us that Lucifer was in Eden at some time prior to Adam being there and that it was an orderly place, that he had a throne, that he had a kingdom, that there were evidently a civilization of some kind, that he ruled over uh, some type of creation there. M many people believe, I'm one of them, you can believe what you want to, that the prehistoric relics that we find from the ancient past, now carbon dating is, is certainly an, an imperfect process. Recently, I, I read they carbon dated something that was, that, that was just like 50 years old and carbon dated it to be like a million years old or something. So it's not perfect, okay? But there are some bones and there are some uh, uh, indications of a very primitive uh, type of, of, of society and life and creatures that looked almost like what we look like that were on the earth for a long period of time. I personally believe that Lucifer ruled over that world that then existed. And because of his rebellion against God, it resulted in a cataclysmic judgment of God. We know that the earth has gone through successive uh, ice ages and different intervals. And, and we know that the earth has, has, has been basically the surface of the, of the earth has been contorted and changed. All of that, I believe, was overthrown and God recreated the earth beginning in verse number three of Genesis. The earth was without form, verse two, and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep and then God began to say, and God recreated modern earth the way it looks today just a few thousand years ago, six, 10,000 years ago. I kind of like the 6,000 years because it fits with the number seven, you know. We got one more year of the millennium and then that's the whole seven. So I like that. But uh, there, and there's evidence for, for, for that as well. But the earth could be a whole lot older than Genesis one and two indicate. If there's a, if there's a big span of time between those verses, talks about what God did in the beginning and then the earth became tohu and bohu. Well, if that's true, then we know there are evil spirits on the planet today because Jesus cast them out. He cast out demons. Now, now unsaved people will mock if you start talking about the devil and start talking about casting out demons. They'll mock. Actually, most of the church will mock you. If you start talking about demons, they'll start rolling their eyes and, and getting very nervous and they'll want to get out of the room real quick. I guarantee you go to the barbershop, guys, or go where you ladies to the, to the hairstylist and just start talking about casting out demons. You will be by yourself real quick. Isn't that right? But Jesus dealt with them. He cast them out. 
you know, people have asked, well, when Jesus cast these demons out, why didn't he cast them into hell? Why did he just cast them out? One time he cast them out of the madman of Gadara, Gadara, and they went into the swine, remember? Well, why, didn't, why did he let them go anywhere? Oftentimes, the Bible says these spirits would cry out and they'd, they'd ask Jesus, they'd beg him, do not cast me into the abyss before the time. There's a time when they will be removed. But they're here now, and the question is, why are they here now? Why are, why are Satan's fallen angels still allowed to exist? As far as that's concerned, why is the devil still loose? Why is he still able to operate in the heavens? And why are these fallen spirits, these fallen angels, still loose to operate in the heavens? And why are demons allowed to, to, to roam the earth and torment people? Well, the answer could be that they were here before we were. And because of judgment, God destroyed them, but the spirit, these evil spirits, these demons, are the disembodied spirits of that earlier civilization. If you notice, angels, you never see in the Bible angels trying to inhabit people. Angels not, never try to inhabit, you know, get in people. But demon spirits are constantly wanting to get inside some kind of a body. They prefer to get into humanity. We know on second choice they'll go into pigs. <laughs> but it seems that demons have this compulsion, this drive, this, this, this uh, uh, in, in, uh, incessant need to get inside of a body so that they can manifest them, so that they can have some kind of an influence. That tells me that they crave a body because they used to have a body and now they don't have one and they're always trying to get in one. They're always trying to get in people. Well, that explains some things. If they are the disembodied spirits that roamed this earth in the dateless past before Adam ever came on the scene, then that would make perfect sense. They have a right to be here because this was, this was where God put them. God destroyed the earth and destroyed their domain, but you can't destroy spirits in that sense. Spirits are eternal. They, are, they live forever. And they're still here, and God created Adam, created a new order in order to demonstrate that the grace of God is greater than sin. That his plan of redemption, he can put man here and even if man fails, God can bring him back. God put man here to demonstrate the power of his grace. What grace can do in, in the lives of someone who will turn their hearts to him and ask for forgiveness and receive redemption. Glory to God. The Bible says that the plan of redemption is on display in the spirit world for angels and principalities and powers to see this is how the grace of God works. Oh, glory to God. Yeah, we are in a world that's infested with some wicked spirits. We know that. But when you get born again, you get taken out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And when you have light in you, glory to God, light drives out darkness every time. 
And the Bible says we've been, that's why he gave his disciples authority. He said, you go into these cities where I'm about to go. You go ahead of me and you cast out devils. You heal the sick. You preach the gospel. Isn't that right? And they came back and said, even demons are, 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 will yield to us in your name. He said, yeah, I saw Satan fall from heaven. He said, I saw this scene unfold. And now I'm giving you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will by any, mean, any means hurt you. Oh, glory to God. Isn't that good news? Oh, hallelujah. The, in, in Ephesians, we'll close with this. In Ephesians chapter uh, six, it says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world and wicked spirits in the heavenlies. Now, what are the rulers of the darkness of this world? The rulers of the darkness of this world are just as they're described. They're fallen spirits who rule the darkness of this world. Now, whether people want to admit it or not, every unsaved person is ruled by the rulers of the darkness of this world. Every unsaved person, I don't care who they are, your mother, your brother, your, 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 your dad, your grandma, it doesn't matter if they're unsaved. Unsaved people, all unsaved people are ruled to some degree or another by the rulers of the darkness of this world because an unsaved person is living in darkness. They are in the kingdom of darkness when we got saved, we were translated, remember? Colossians 1, we were translated out of the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. Oh, glory to God. See, when you get saved, you're taken out of that kingdom. Now, unsaved people are still in the kingdom of darkness, so the rulers of the darkness of this world, to some degree or another, rule them. It, a lot of times, it depends on what type of training a person has. If a person was brought up in a very moral uh, uh, situation by someone who knew God or knows the Bible, very often those people will have certain disciplines in their lives that, that will prevent them from doing things that maybe other people would do. But you find someone who's raised in a home where there's been no knowledge of God for generations, parents didn't know God, grandparents didn't know God, great-grandparents, Oh my goodness, the darkness that you find in houses like that, homes like that. People can live the most ungodly ways. Why is it? Because over generation after generation of having no knowledge of God, no Bible, no truth, man just slips lower and lower and lower, more and more dominated by the rulers of the darkness of this world. But you take that one person and you lead him to Jesus get him born again, whoo, he comes out of that. Oh, hallelujah. He, he finds a, a good Christian girl. They get married. They start raising a family. You've got an entirely different situation. You've got a home where the love of God begins to take hold. Now, listen, rulers of the darkness of this world will, will still, they'll rule over Christians if Christians are walking in darkness. See, you're, we're of the light, but we can walk in darkness. When we choose to walk in darkness, we choose to submit ourselves to the rulers of the darkness of this world and they begin to have influence in our life. 
But you take someone that makes a decision, I'm going to stay in the light. I'm going to live in the light. I'm of the light. I'm not getting into darkness. I'm not trans, uh, uh, trespassing over. I'm not crossing the line. I'm not getting in there where the devil is. I'm going to keep myself holy. I'm going to keep myself pure. I'm going to do what God asked me to do. I'm going to obey. I'm going to worship. I'm going to just serve God. Oh, glory to God. Jesus says that, said, the devil has no place in me. You can say that too. You can say that too. Hallelujah. Oh, I wish I had time to preach all these scriptures. I'll just read them to you. Glory to God. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He said unto them, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Another place he said, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Glory to God. He says, awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. Romans 13 says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness? 1 John 1, chapter, five, uh, chapter, five, chapter 1, verse 5 says, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Oh, glory to God. I tell you what, it's not worth it, friend. It's not worth it to get over in the darkness. It's, there's no temptation worth it. There's nothing in this world that's worth it. There's nothing the devil has to offer that's worth it. Listen, don't let your flesh get you over out of light into darkness. Stay in the light. Stay in the light, glory to God, and, and enjoy the benefits of the light because we walk in the kingdom of light. And when you walk in that realm, glory to God, you have peace and joy and authority and dominion in this life. And when the enemy, the devil, or some evil spirit or some bad idea or some temptation arises, you just look at it and say, no, you don't. I know where you're coming from. I'm a child of light. Glory to God. I'll not be ruled over by darkness. Darkness will have not have dominion over me. I'm in the light. Glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.